Welcome everybody to the Nerd Pool Podcast, the podcast where we talk pop culture, pro wrestling, and everything else that's on my mind. So sit back, grab your snack, and listen in as I rant and rave about everything we know and love. What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nerd Pool Podcast. As always, I am your host, the fat fool that loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. It's a J-M-I-E, your 497,655th favorite podcast host. And as always, your Sherpa down the road of nerdiness. And today we are wiping that smark off our faces. That's right. It's a pro wrestling theme podcast brought to you by the Nerd Pool Podcast, starring me from the Nerd Pool Podcast. And today, since I'm locked in, I've had a lot of time been watching uh, a lot of older wrestling and just wrestling in general. And I've put together a little list of guys I think that are really underrated workers, the ones that could have a great match with pretty much anybody. And for whatever reason, never either reached the mountaintop or that people just kind of have slept on and forgot how good they really are. You know, all of their abilities in the ring would just click and they had everything, but they never able to get that to just step to the limelight of what they, they could have been. So, of course, on this list, we're not going to be having the Shawn Michaels, the Ric Flairs, the Chris Jerichos, the people that we all know are just fantastic workers and can have a fantastic match with anybody. We're going to be talking about the the underdogs, the underrated, the ones that you don't really think of. Um, and I'm going to be going mainly from the mid-90s to probably early 2000s, uh, just me growing up. This is just a list for the people growing up. I might do a list of another one later on, but this is just probably around in that area, the ones that... Basically, when I was a kid, I was like, dang, they're really good. And they just never got the, the, the push that I really think any of them deserved. So some some honorable mentions on this list, and these are people from older that I've come to appreciate, but I never really get to watch growing up. Uh, Bobby Eaton, beautiful Bobby Eaton is probably, in a lot of people's opinions, one of the greatest workers of all time, if not the best worker. Stone Cold Steve Austin has gone on record saying, that he that Bobby Eaton is the best person that he has ever been in the ring with. Uh, Ric Flair has said Bobby Eaton is the best worker there ever was. You know, so you're getting high praises from a lot of people. And if you go back and watch anything he did with the Midnight Express or anything he did, even when he was beautiful Bobby or when he was Sir Robert Eaton in WCW, whatever they strapped him with, even though he never might have got a push or never been in the main event scene, he can make anybody look good. And he was a fantastic worker. Also, we had uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Again, two of the best workers that ever did it. One of the best tag teams. They could talk. They were athletic. They could sell. They could do everything. One that I wanted to put on this list because I think it's kind of a... He is, but isn't. Um, and Because I think a lot of people forget how good he is, but then there's a lot of people that still say he's better than his brother, and that is the late, great Owen Hart. Owen was took from us way too soon, before you know, way before his time, in a tragic accident. And going back and watching the match he had with Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10 or pretty much anything Owen did, Owen, to me, was the better wrestler of the two. Bret might have been more technical, but Owen was more athletically gifted. Owen was better all around in me, in my opinion. I think he was better on the microphone. I think he had more charisma. I think he had more talent. And that's nothing, again, not a, a, a bash on Bret Hart. It's just, in my opinion, I think Owen was the better of the two brothers. And really didn't get a chance to come into his own before tragedy struck and we lost him. So those are just honorable mentions. That's not even the list, and I'm doing 10 here. So I'm going to try to keep them as short as possible, but y'all know how I like to ramble on, and especially when it comes to pro wrestling. I ramble on about a lot of stuff. So we're just going to jump right in. These are in no particular order. I'm not going 1 to 10. I'm not going 10 to 1. I'm not going 5 to 8 and then 8 to 7 and then 6 to 4. I'm not doing any of that because for me to put them in this list would have been, it had been rough for me to try to rank them 
like in the aspect of the way I'm going, them being underrated, it's really hard to do that. But I'm going to give you a little bit of their accomplishments, and I'm going to give you a match for each one of them that I think you should watch, something that kind of gives you the essence of who they are, or even just it's one of my favorite matches. That First up on the list, we have Lance Storm. If he can be serious for a minute, which he always is, Lance Storm <laughs> didn't have the charisma of some of his contemporaries. Him and Chris Jericho started in at the same exact time, and we all know Chris Jericho had just ooze charisma. And not to say that Lance Storm doesn't have any, but Lance Storm is a more straight-laced. He's more serious. And, I mean, that was always his gimmick. But he is a, you know, he he's a multiple-time ECW Tag Team Champion. He's a multiple-time WCW Hardcore Champion. He's a former U.S. Cruiserweight Champion in WCW. He's a four-time WF Tag Team Champion and an Intercontinental Champion. The guy has a resume. He never got the chance to be a heavyweight champion in anywhere he's been. But if you look for in-ring prowess and knowing timing and being technical and being athletic, Lance Storm's got to be on any list of underrated workers. I mean, pretty much anything he did, he made look good. And He was trained by the Hearts. He's from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. If you're looking for a match to look at, look no further than one of my favorite Lance Storm matches. And it was originally supposed to be his retirement match, is what he said. And that was at One Night Stand in 2005, the opening match against Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho was his first opponent back when they broke into the business, and this was his quote-unquote retirement. He didn't actually retire here, but this is one of his last you know, big matches, and it was at One Night Stand. And these two complement each other so well they're friends they worked great Lance Storm and Chris Jericho completely tore the house down at this event and if you're going to watch a Lance Storm match this is what it is granted he's working with one of the best workers ever but he holds up his own against in my opinion probably the greatest performer in professional wrestling history in Chris Jericho so if you're looking for a match go there Next up, we're going to be talking about Lance Storm's uh, brother in the triple threat. The man we're talking about right now is Mr. No Gimmicks Needed Chris Candido, the former husband of Tammy Lynn Sitch, better known to the WWF faithful as Sonny. Chris Candido, there's no way you can argue he got it. He knew what he was doing. He was called Mr. No Gimmicks Needed because he didn't need a gimmick. He got over doing what he did in the ring. He could talk, and when it came to the when it came to getting in the ring and putting in work, he was one of the few that you couldn't touch. If you had to hold up your own, he could make you look like a million bucks, or he could make you look like a schmuck, just because of how good he really was in the ring. And again, he was another one that tragically was taken way too soon from us. And he was in his mid thirties. He had had surgery, and ended up a uh, blood clot had ended up taking his life. And it's a shame because I, I don't know if he'd have been. A world champion, he had the all the ability for it, but he had been stuck with some bad gimmicks back in the day before he became Mr. No Gimmick Needed in ECW. But, I mean, if you're looking at his resume, he's a three-time ECW Tag Team Champion. He was an NWA champion. Now, granted, the NWA championship at this time probably wasn't what you're thinking, but still, I count it because it's the NWA. It's the prestige of that. It's it's a huge, huge title to have. He was a WCW Cruiserweight Champion, and he was a WWF Tag Team Champion. And if you're looking for a match, this one's, I, it might be on the network. You might have to go back and find it because this is probably the oldest match to go to. But it's actually um, him versus Tracy Smothers for the NWA slash Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1994. Tracy Smothers was a great worker. Chris Candido was young, up-and-comer, and he completely held his own in this match. 
from front to back, beginning to top, whatever. This match was a great technical match. It was an old-school wrestling match. And Chris Candido, with his abilities, his agility, and his sense of ring awareness, took Tracy Smothers, who's a great worker in and of his own right, and made this a ten times better. So this is this is earlier on in Chris Candido's run. This is before he became, you know, Mr. No Gimmicks Needed, when he wasn't what he was in ECW, when he wasn't cocky, he wasn't brash. This is this is Chris Candido when he was a young young man working in the territories. And watch this match, and you'll really, I think, really truly be impressed with how good Chris Candido really is and what all he was able to bring to the business. Speaking of a man who can bring something to the business and is still bringing something to the business, we're moving on to our third person, which is William Regal. William Regal, Stephen Regal, Lord Stephen Regal, uh, the real man's man, whatever you want to call him. William Regal, I, I was first introduced to him in WCW when he was Lord Stephen Regal. He was supposed to be a, a pompous uh, British socialite, and he was never he, – he had a weird look. He was never in the – he was in good shape, but he never had, like, the fit body. You know, he was never cut up. And he always had this scrunched-up face. He had a strange-looking face, and he didn't look like the kind of guy that could stretch you, but William Regal could. He actually they, – they told the story, and it seems like they tell this with everybody that comes from England, that he was a bare-knuckle. Apparently, from what I've read, that is somewhat true. Like, he's been wrestling, and he was boxing when he was a kid, you know, or 15, 16 years old in England. He's, he's one of the best of the English strong style, one of the English types of wrestling. He was one of the first ones I saw that brought it to the United States and put it in prominence. Uh, William Regal has a lot of accolades. I mean, he was a four-time WCW champion. He was a multiple-time WWF hardcore champion, if you want to count that as a big thing, which I'm putting on here so I do. He was a multiple-time European champion, multiple-time WWF tag, or Intercontinental champion, WWF tag champion, and for all of his accolades, William Regal got in his own way. Um, he had a when he was scheduled for a huge push in the early 2000s, and demons caught up with him. He had uh, issues with alcohol and substance abuse, and that kind of derailed him. He's clean right now. He is the uh, kayfabe general manager of NXT. He's one of the people that helps trains. He's he's well spoken. He's articulate. He could talk, and when he go, goes in the ring, he can he can truly, honestly go. He is a great, great, like I said, European-style wrestler. He got a good match out of Goldberg, and this is one of Goldberg's first match, and he got the one of the best matches out of him as he could, and Goldberg was greener and goose shit at the time, and a lot of people knew that Goldberg couldn't go more than four minutes, and William Regal took him to ten. It wasn't the prettiest match, but he, he was probably Goldberg's best match up to that date, and that's saying a lot for what William Regal was able to do and make him look good. And if you're looking for a match to show you how good William Regal is, uh, WCW Slamboree 1997, he faced the Ultimo Dragon for the television championship. And this match was phenomenal. I mean, it was just great. The, the ground-based technical shooter style of William Regal complemented the high-flying Lucha Libre uh, strong style of the Ultimo Dragon. I mean, this match was back and forth. This is one of my favorite William Regal matches, one of my favorite Ultimo Dragon matches. They had fantastic chemistry. And William Regal's ability to take someone of a different style and, and be able to adapt to it in the ring shows how great he really was. 
and just how how natural and how he made everything look. Speaking of naturals, we're moving on to number four, and that is Dustin Rhodes. You might know him as Gold Dust. You might know him as the natural Dustin Rhodes. You might know him as Seven from a week stint in WCW, or you might know him as Black Reigns from TNA. He's had a lot of gimmicks over the years, and most of us know him for the Gold Dust gimmick, the gimmick where he, at the time, was pushing an androgynous character, a... Uh, homosexual type character and it was one of the one, one of the first ones i seen do that there was one before him that did it but he's the one that kind of pushed the boundaries running his hands up and down other men um the mind games he played he always kind of creeped me out when i was a kid and then when i got older i could appreciate how good he really was there's a reason why he was called the natural he was the son of the son of a plumber he was the son of the american dream dusty Rhodes, one of the greatest that ever did it to one of the best performers in professional wrestling history. And he got it while he didn't have his dad's charisma. His dad had a different type of charisma, man. The athletic ability of Dustin was just amazing. And the way he picked up professional wrestling right off the bat was just proved how good he, he really was. And again, he was thrust into the spotlight right off the bat because of who his dad was. He's a multiple time WWE intercontinental champion. He's a hard, former hardcore champion, former tag team champion multiple times. He's a WCW tag team champion, six-man tag team champion in WCW. He was a U.S. heavyweight champion. He was an NWA tag team champion. I mean, the list goes on and on of his accomplishments. Again, another man who never reached the heights of being a, a world champion. Not yet. He's still going strong in AEW as the natural Dustin Rose. And, again, his timing, his selling ability, his ability to – communicate with just a facial expression is something that very few people can actually master and he does he does a phenomenal job at it again he learned from one of the best there is he can be a sympathetic baby face or he can be a dastardly heel he can play both sides of the coin and he can be amazing at either one of them he has great mic skills and as far again as your entering work go he's very athletic even to this day the stuff he does at a, as a 50 plus year old man is stuff that i can't do as a 30 year old man you know, and I've always been just a huge fan of his, and I, I really hope that he can go on for years to come because if you haven't seen how good Dustin Rhodes is, you can watch pretty much anything. But my favorite match, and this is honestly my favorite match that Dustin's ever been in. He's been in a lot of them. But my favorite match is the match against his brother Cody at Double or Nothing from 2019, the very first AEW official pay-per-view. It was brother versus brother. It was when Cody said he was going to bury the Attitude Era. There was a great story leading up to it. They bled buckets of blood. I mean, Dustin was just gushing, gushing blood in this match. And the story behind it, the in-ring work, even at times when it seemed like it was wonky, because Dustin was losing so much blood, he might have got lightheaded. He never once gave up. He never threw in the towel. And it was just it was just an amazing match. And it go out of your way to see this match. And you will see how truly good he is. He's he's better than his brother. I love Cody Rhodes, but Dustin is the is the more polished wrestler of the two. And he is he's just years, light years ahead of him. I know he's had time on him to perfect it, but it seemed like he picked it up and he just knows where he's going. And Dustin is one of my favorite of all time. And I'm glad to continue to watch him to this day speaking of somebody that's working for aew as a trainer right now and that is jerry lynn jerry lynn 
has worked in WCW as Mr. JL. He's been in the WWE. He's been in TNA. He's been in a lot of places. And Jerry Lynn was getting on the older side when I first saw him in ECW. It's when he, he wasn't old at the time, but for a professional wrestler, he was getting up there in years, and he had been through some battles. He is a... I mean, he's a former ECW heavyweight champion. He's a former WWE light heavyweight champion. He's a former TNA X Division champion and a former NWA TNA tag team champion. And those are just small accolades of what he did. I mean, he he's had numerous battles. There's a reason they called him the new effing show after one of his most popular matches and one of the best matches and the matches I think you should watch. He had two of these with this person, but this one was just fantastic, and that was when he took on Rob Van Dam for the television title at Living Dangerously. It, it, it was it, this match was great. I mean, it was fantastic. These two complement each other so well, and Jerry Lynn's ability to at that point be able to keep up with Rob Van Dam's fast-paced breakneck style. He he had a more mat base. He could he could fly when he needed to, but he was more technical in that match, and he can slow Rob Van Dam down when he needed to, but he picked up the speed when he needed to. And these two had the had some of the greatest chemistry I've ever seen in professional wrestling, and their matches are just classics. If you haven't seen either one of them, you could watch either one of them. The one from Living Dangerously is the one I'm saying because I've watched it recently and it's probably one of the better it's probably the best match. His ability to work the styles of the opponent that he is working with proves how good Jerry Lynn really is. And at that time, like I said, he was he was getting older for the professional wrestling business and to this day being able to help the younger generation in AEW and help move them forward and teach him those skills that he learned. Speaking of another guy who's worked for multiple companies and was a smaller person that that weirdly never he never got his chance to shine because of his size I think but he, he got one chance to take on the big dog when he took on Hulk Hogan and that's Billy Kidman Billy Kidman is a former WWE Cruiserweight Champion a former WWE Cruiserweight Tag Team Champion he's a WWF Cruiserweight Champion and WWF Cruiser or uh, WWF Tag Team Champion Billy Kidman was. A great worker for his time. I mean, I was always enthralled with Billy Kidman. He had an average, everyday look to him. One of his best accomplishments was probably being able to marry Tori Wilson. I mean, like I said, he was an average-looking dude, but he was in great shape, great athletic ability, and he could fly with the best. I mean, he was the first person I saw do a shooting star press, and that was just like, I was like, wow, how did he do that? You know, it just, as a kid, it shocked me, and I was just like, that is insane. Billy Kidman was just a, a hell of a performer, and talking, he was never the best, but he ended up getting, getting in his own little groove when he finally found who he was later on in his career. Again, his size being labeled cruiserweight is probably one of the reasons why he was kept down. But if you're looking if you're looking for cruiserweights from the WCW era, uh, Billy Kidman's right up there. I mean, with all the luchadors you had going, for him to be able to work that style and the Lucha Libre type style was being able to adapt to it was a great, a great feat. And speaking of the Lucha Libre, I mean, one of his best matches, one of my favorite matches of his to watch is him versus Rey Mysterio Jr. It was on in 99 on a WCW Nitro. I mean, this was a free match. WCW had a way of usually giving a undercard that was great and the main events were kind of stale. The cruiserweights were blowing people away. Rey Mysterio is one of the top cruiserweights and babyfaces in the world. And Billy Kidman was his own come up and again kept up with Rey Mysterio's breakneck, fast-paced style. And being able to adapt to that and being able to use that ability and being able to work like he did 
Billy Kidman was just great in the way he did it. And he never got the the recognition that he needed or deserved. Speaking of somebody who didn't get the recognition they deserved, the number seven on my list is Stevie Richards. Now, I know a lot of you people are going to be like, really, Stevie Richards? Look, Stevie Richards was influenced by Shawn Michaels, okay? That was his big influence. And Stevie Richards did a lot to impersonate Shawn Michaels look-wise and ability-wise, and he could keep up with Shawn. Stevie Richards didn't get a lot of opportunity to shine like as he deserved to. I mean, most of the time in ECW, he was a lackey. In WCW, he was a lackey. When he went to the WWF, they were using him mainly as cannon fodder at jobbers, and he was, you know, regulated to Velocity and Sunday Night Heat in these D shows. But Stevie Richards was a hell of a worker. He he was in great shape. He had a good look to him. Stevie Richards could have been something if they would have let him. I mean, he could talk. He worked with he worked with Raven, was one of the best talkers there ever was. He's worked with plenty of fantastic talkers, plenty of fantastic workers. And again, he he wanted to be Shawn Michaels. He said that from the beginning. He always wanted to be the next Shawn Michaels. And he could have been if they'd have just given him the chance. He was a good-looking guy, great shape. His ability to sell was fantastic. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things for him was the fact that he could sell. You know, it's a lost art to be able to sell. And Stevie Richards could take a beating and make it look like it really hurt. And he knew how to he knew how to work it. He he didn't have a lot of accolades. I mean, he was an ECW Tag Team Champion. He was a WWE Hardcore Champion. And he was an NWA Heavyweight Champion. I mean, again, the NWA Championship at this time wasn't exactly the creme de la creme, but it's still an accolade. I mean, like I said, his accolade might not be as big as some of the other ones on this list, but if you're looking for somebody who was grossly underrated and deserved a lot more than what he got, Stevie Richards has to be your guy. The match I'm saying you look for is from Barely Legal 1997. It was he had a triple threat match with him, Sandman, and Terry Funk for the ECW Heavyweight Championship. Now, Terry Funk's a legend. At this time, he was way past his prime. He was hurt constantly, and he couldn't move like he was. Sandman was never a good worker. He wasn't. He was reckless, and he just he just went in there to beat the hell out of you. Stevie Richards, doing this match, did the majority of selling. He did the majority of trying to help the other ones get over with their limited ability, and Stevie Richards did a great job making everybody look good in this match, even if it was just getting beat to high heaven from both of them. But Stevie Richards held up his own, and I mean, in this match, when you're in there with a legend and somebody who was over as Sandman was in ECW, to be able to hold your own and still come out of that match with more than what you went in with, you know, not being just the the jobber of the match, even though that's kind of what they played it out to be, he still got himself over in that match, and he earned my respect, even as a child rewatching it. That that's what when I was a kid, that's what I, I saw. He like like he's good, and then going on to the rest of his career, I always thought he was underrated and deserved more. Speaking of somebody who was held back, the Iceman Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko to me is probably one of is is if I had to list these guys, you know, on who's the most underrated worker, Dean Malenko is probably going to be number one. Dean Malenko to me was the best technical wrestler on this list. He could work any style that he needed to. He adapted to everything. He was the technical base wrestler in the cruiserweight division with a bunch of luchadors and Japanese wrestlers in WCW. He is a multiple-time WCW cruiserweight champion. He's a WCW tag team champion, a former U.S. champion, a WWF cruiserweight champion. 
and he was an ECW tag team champion. He has great accolades, but his size is what kept him down. He didn't have charisma. He was never supposed to be. He was the Iceman. He was stone-faced. He was going there, no nonsense, let me get the job done. He, but he had no charisma, and it was probably part of the reason why he couldn't get over like he wanted. His ability to talk was minimal at best, but when he got in the ring, I don't know if there was anybody better. I mean, he was just fantastic to watch. Every match he was in, he gave it 2,000%, and if the person he was wrestling wasn't able to hold up their end, he still made them look like they were one of the greatest wrestlers on the world, and that is hard to do. Technical-wise, he was just great. Like I said, keeping up with the pace of the cruiserweights at that time when he wasn't that style of wrestler was great and, and fantastic. Him working with Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, there's a reason why all these guys clicked and a reason why every one of them kind of followed each other and mirrored each other because they were just fantastic. And for him to take and be able to hang with Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho and hold his own and and ring-wise be able to outshine them is a phenomenal feat and something that is not easily looked down upon. Like I said, Dean Lincoln to me is probably the best technical wrestler on this list, and I would probably have to put him at number one if I had to. Next up on this list, I always loved this guy, still do to this day, and that is Steve Carino. Steve Carino was a former ECW heavyweight champion. He was a Ring of Honor tag team champion, and he was a MLW, Major League Wrestling, heavyweight champion. He doesn't have a lot of accolades when it comes to championships. He's had a lot of independent accolades, but as far as Major League companies, he didn't have a lot. However, Steve Carino is a guy that started in ECW. He was the guy that didn't want to do hardcore. He was, he was a technical wrestler. He looked down on hardcore wrestling, blah, blah, blah. He was a jobber when they brought him in. He was a guy that was getting chair-shotted and getting his ass kicked, and that was the whole thing is he was going to be beat. Through his in-ring ability and his ability to talk, he got himself over to be the ECW champion. I mean, and grossly, grossly underrated how good he really was on the mic or in the ring. Steve Carino never got the respect he deserved. I still don't think he gets the respect he deserved. I think a lot of people sleep on Steve Carino to this day. But Steve Carino, to me, is one of the best that ever did it. One of my favorite matches he ever had, and it might not be his best match, but it was at the 2000 Living Dangerous pay-per-view against Dusty Rhodes when he was bad-mouthing the American Dream, bad-mouthing how the NWA and the old-timers, and they had a bull rope match. And, I mean, Dusty bled, and Dusty was well past his prime, Carino bled, and Carino got a good match out of Dusty. It's the best match he could get. Carino had a lot of heart, showed a lot of skill. And when Dusty Rose says, you know, that you earned his respect and that you did well, that's a big thing. You know, Steve Carino never got the pushes he deserved. He had injuries and other things that kind of kept him back at times. But to work your way from being a jobber and brought in as a jobber to being a heavyweight champion of, a, of a, one of the major companies in the world at the time, Steve Carino deserves a lot of respect and a lot of praise for what he did. And, again, a lot of people might sleep on Steve Carino, might say that he wasn't as good as I say. To me, Steve Carino was grossly underrated. And there's a reason why, again, WWE has him working in NXT, helping train people, helping bringing up the next generation of talent and helping them to succeed. Speaking of someone who was an influence on the next generation of talent, it has to be the late great Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman was another one. We lost way too soon. Um, due to heart disease. Brian Pillman played a loose cannon character for years. 
You never knew if anything was a shoot, if it was real, if it was fake, what it was. We we never knew with Brian Pillman. He played it all to the chest, and he did everything he could to get where he wanted to be in professional wrestling. Brian Pillman is a former WCW light heavyweight champion, a former tag team WCW tag team champion, a former NWA tag team champion, a former NWA US tag team champion. I mean, he's had a lot of career highlights. He's had some of the best matches in the world. You know, former tag team partner of Stone Cold Steve Austin when he was stunning Steve and they were the Hollywood Blondes. Great matches against the Four Horsemen and so on. I mean, Brian Pillman, my my main exposure to him was I got a little bit in WCW, but it was mainly in his WWF run when he was with the Hart Foundation. The feud with Stone Cold when he pulled a gun on Stone Cold on a Monday Night Raw. I mean, I was a kid, and I was like, oh, my God, did that just happen? You know, he, he you never knew how this was going to go because he always played the gimmick close to the chest. If you're looking for a match with him, there's plenty I can go. I mean, Steamboat, um, he had a great one with Dean Malenko. He's had great ones with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Sting, but I'm going to pick one that I think was a major thing because it was one of the biggest that ever happened at the time, and that was in 1995, the very first WCW Nitro, live from the Mall of America, when he took on Jushin Thunder Liger. Jushin Thunder Liger, the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, legend, the former Jap- the Japanese legend who recently retired, one of the greatest little men, you know, cruiserweights, light heavyweights, whatever you want to call it, in professional wrestling history, his name rings rings bells in every professional wrestling circle. Everybody knows that name. If you're a professional wrestling fan, you know the name Jushin Thunder Liger. And Brian Pillman got a fantastic match out of him because Brian Pillman was that damn good. Brian Pillman was a former NFL football player, former NCAA All-American football player. He he could just go. He was one of the innovators of a of the fast-paced uh, cruiserweight-type style High flyers. He was one of the innovators of the U.S. high flying scene. His ability to talk helped him because he had a raspy voice. He apparently had a disease I can't pronounce the name of it, where he had like um, tumor type warps that would grow on his larynx, and he'd had multiple surgeries growing up, and that's the reason he had that deep raspy voice. But that or that raspy voice has kind of led to his character, it made him sound crazier than like he was. It gave him a, a gravitas when he talked that you kind of listened and you wondered what, what he, he meant behind it because everything seemed like it had a double meaning when Brian Pillman talked. But as far as his in-ring work go, the man was very athletic. The man could sell his ass off. The man's facial expressions were phenomenal. His character work was great. And his ability to get his opponent over at the same time getting himself over was fantastic. You know, he's he's had a lot of spats with, with bookers and such and such and different companies, but Brian Pillman always gave 110% in the ring and – Brian Pillman is one of the most underrated performers that's ever donned a pair of wrestling tights. And again, he was one of the ones that we lost way too soon. Going back and rewatching Brian Pillman matches, you you see how good he is. You see how great of an athlete he was and what he could have been if he hadn't snapped his ankle and it took a little bit of his mobility, if he hadn't had the heart disease that took him. What what could have been with with Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman, the, the the sky was the limit for him. He had a great look to him. He had great in-ling ability, and like I said, he could talk. You know, he he had the it factor. And I really think if he could have stuck around, stuck around, he probably would have been a world champion in the WWF before too long. Running with the Hart Foundation, that just helped him even more so. You know, he, he got over because of them, and he helped get all them over, and he helped get, he helped get Stone Cold to where he was. 
you know, so that, that was just a great feat. And rest in peace to him, rest in peace to Chris Candido. This list was difficult to do because there's a lot of other wrestlers I'd like to put on it. But these are the people that I just, I gravitated toward because I think these are the definitive underrated workers of my childhood, my teenage years, growing up. This is the definitive list of underrated workers, in my opinion. Well, what's not underrated is following me on Twitter at NerdPoolPod or follow me on Instagram at NerdPoolPodcast. Follow me on Twitch at NerdPoolGaming. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your support. Thank you for all that you do. And until next time, wipe that smirk off your face. See ya!